Welcome to Grief is My Side Hustle. I am your host, Megan Reardon Jarvis, and I'm really delighted and honored today to be sitting down with John LaFrance. John, thank you so much for being here. Oh, thanks so much for having me, Megan. Always good to be with you. I am really excited about this conversation because I feel like we can go down a hundred roads because sort of you, like myself, we've been in the world of grief and loss for a long time. And whether we knew it, probably have been building to the spaces that we find ourselves, you know, as children of loss, as, um, you know, adults who are interested in helping and caring. So I'll ask you the question I ask all my guests when we get started is just what brings you into the world of grief and loss? Yeah, I, I love that question. <clears throat> I love just sharing uh, my story. I think that that's the, the beauty in humanity, right? It's just people connecting with people and, you know, you're all the way over there on the East Coast in the DC area and I'm here in Utah, but we can, you know, get together and share our experiences uh, with loss. And I think that that is it's always really healing for me. I, I do like uh, that. And I feel like it, uh, I don't know, helps bring purpose, I guess, to the the tragedy that occurred. It's like, if it wasn't all for naught, if we can help each other and share our stories, I, I think it can be a beautiful thing. But, um, and it is interesting as I've kind of entered the space, everyone does have a story, right? There's some catalysts, there's something, and to your point, we've probably been on this journey for a while, but then the catalyst happens and right. then you're on this new path. And so I definitely have felt that pretty significantly, but um, my story kind of begins, you know, I'm the oldest of seven children. I grew up in the, a suburb of Seattle, Washington, and uh, I had a pretty dang good childhood. Um, awesome parents that met at college and, and had a wonderful marriage. And, and uh, I went to go serve a, a mission for my church and I lived in Japan for two years. Wow. And, uh, which was awesome. And <laughs> I just loved that experience. Yeah. And um, the last week of my mission, well, at the end of my mission, my parents uh, and my old or my sister that was just younger than me were scheduled to head to Japan. And we were going to spend 10 days kind of touring the country that I grew to love with my service. And about three days before um, they were scheduled to arrive um, at about six o'clock in the morning, my mission president that oversaw the missionaries in our area uh, gave me a phone call, which was very early for a phone call. Um, and, uh, he let me know that my dad, um, had been diagnosed with, uh, stage four brain cancer and he was 43 years old at the time. And he said, so they're not going to be coming to Japan. Um, they need to go put him into a brain surgery right away. And we're, we're changing your itinerary and we're going to get you home as soon as possible. And so obviously a really long flight. So as I'm flying, I'm home from Japan. Uh, my dad's in brain surgery and I land and I get there right as he comes out. And I spend my first night back in the United States uh, there uh, in the hospital next to him. Um, and that was the beginning, I think, of my grief, because um, I, I always say that's the blessing that comes with a cancer diagnosis It is a gut punch. I mean, the worst day of my life. But you start looking at uh, that relationship a little bit differently. It's Absolutely. like, I know people that have lost people abruptly where it is not planned. It's an accident. It People die in their sleep, you know, whatever the case may be. And even though, so my dad fought cancer for three years, he was in remission for a year and a half. Um, but through that process, I was starting to process the possibility that, um, that he could, we could lose him. 
And uh, even though I exercised all the faith and hope and prayers in the world to try and beat that as you do when you're trying to fight cancer, it has to be nothing but positive uh, in order to do that. And I think I'm grateful that we had those three additional years um, with them. But ultimately, the the kind of the cancer came back with the vengeance and and took him when he was 46 years old. And so there I was left as the the oldest of seven kids. My mom, um, that was a really, really hard battle um, for her as well. Brain cancer is a very, very tricky uh, cancer because of what the tumors can do to the brain. It can change the personality and and behaviors and all sorts of things. It was just really hard for everybody to process. But the youngest uh, child was nine years old. So I have this very interesting lens with grief because, well, first we'll get to this in a minute probably, but I, I didn't I didn't take time for myself because I needed to step in and be the older brother and help the six younger siblings and be there for my mom. So I put my grief on hold, but then I've kind of watched as each of these siblings um, and tried to help in any way I could and then I've now watched, it's been 14 years. Um, so my dad uh, passed away September 14th. Um, oh, it just happened. And, uh, yeah, it just happened. Yeah. Just uh, had that milestone. And I've been able to see how it has impacted them in various ways, how it impacts daughters versus how it impacts sons versus the different ages that they were at. And it's been just very, very interesting. And so, you know, my dad was... Um, a commercial real estate developer. And I worked with him while he had cancer uh, because there were times that it was hard for him to do things. And, and I wanted to kind of learn that to trade and they had uh, properties in, in multiple states. But then it, when he passed, I dove into um, residential real estate and, and did custom homes um, and really just thought, okay, this is in my blood. I, I really love real estate. But um, I had a friend that that you know, this was during the recession, and I had a friend that was working in the funeral industry, of all things. <laughs> and I was like, "That's weird." I'm like, maybe you just can't get a job anywhere else. I don't know. I mean, it was just it was really bizarre. And then I found out I had multiple friends that were working for the same company um, that had all graduated from BYU, which is where I graduated from, and uh, I, and it was up in the Northwest. It was up uh, in Portland, and so. I was like, huh, I'll go, I'll go check it out and we'll just see. And it was just so interesting. There was something that shifted in me where I, I knew that I needed. So it was a pre-planning company that helps people pre-plan and prepay for their funerals in advance, which yeah. is an interesting line of business. And I have a lot of different thoughts and passions about that subject, just since we didn't do that for my dad and yeah. that kind of impacted my, my grief a little bit, but um. But I, I immediately realized I needed purpose-driven work. I mean, I, I wanted to use my personal experience with loss um, to help other people. I felt like I was in a unique situation with my age and my experience and um, the, the circumstances that I wanted to do that. So that, that started the journey, and that was back in 2010. Um, so we've been on this journey for a good 12 years, and it's gone through twists and turns, but now I'm, I'm an entrepreneur. I've started several businesses in, in both the funeral space, but then also uh, in the grief space and, and helping more families. And everything that I do, it, it, it's all about that. You know, it's, it's, it's people helping people. And if we can use technology and tools and connection and, and, and these resources, um, my hope is that other people won't. Uh, the, the big thing that I think I stand for is 
you know, it took me five years before I ever got any help for myself uh, yeah. because I took care of everybody else. And I just, I think that's so unfortunate, especially in the world that we live in with the resources we have, you know, I want to make sure that it's, it's possible that people, when that day comes, because it will, because everyone in this world will experience grief in, in one way, shape, or form, but that any time, any place, any device that you can get the help that you need and get you on that path to healing, because it was unfortunate, I think, that I was just stuck in this place of grief. And there was no handoff from the funeral home to a grief provider. And so then I was just left to the great abyss of Google and tried, and it just was overwhelming and daunting. And so I just didn't do it. And uh, that wreaked havoc until my wife finally smacked me upside the head and said, we're getting you some help. So anyways, that's kind of a long-winded answer, Megan, but I, that's really how it happened is that it, it started with the personal experience and then has led me to where we're at today. Well, thank you for sharing that. I hadn't known um, exactly your story with your the loss of your dad. I knew you lost your dad, and I'm one of six, and I knew you were oh, one really? of seven. Yeah, um, and my dad died in 2017 of cancer, which is very different. He was 80, um, mm-hmm. but I really connect with the notion of being able. The, the language I use with it is sort of participating in the death, like people. Yeah able to ask me, how are you doing? You know? And I'd be like, this is the realest life I've ever lived, which is such a ridiculous thing to say, but really that's, you know, anyone who's had a terrible piece of information handed to them that before and after really does sort of shift and pivot who you are, not just what your life is, but who you are. And so when you're talking about that purpose-driven life, my mom died suddenly in 2019 when I was on vacation with her in her house. She died in her sleep. Yeah, no, it was totally awful and and led to PTSD for me. And what I was thinking about when you were talking about watching your siblings and watching them over time, again, my five brothers and sisters are all grownups. Um, No one was nine, but it has been interesting. We're three years into my mom's death. My reaction was the opposite of yours. Mine was immediate and sudden and, um, and very physical. Uh, And despite the fact that I know everything and I'm trained in everything, it was not, not preventable for me. And it's been interesting to sort of just watch over time, how the impact shows up in my other siblings' lives, you know, and what it, what it looks like for us as a family to not have parents. And, you know, what do we do with all those siblings in order to be a family? Um, But I really resonate with the idea because I, you know, most of the work that I do is with grievers. Most of the work that I do is with people who are experiencing trauma still, you know, a year later, they still have images in their mind. Um, And it is just heartbreaking to hear Right now, particularly right now, where we have 9 million new grievers in the United States, and as far as I can tell, no new resources. It's not as though the federal government or state governments were like, oh my God, let's throw a lot of money towards social workers, counselors, you know, pastoral counselors, any so that we can have the army that we're going to need to catch the grievers on the other side. And what we're seeing you know, and you and I were talking about this a little bit off mic, but what we're seeing is the way in which grief that I'm not even going to use the, all the hard words like unresolved and compound, you know, just grieve the way that it, when we are, when we are asked to go on with life as though we are not grieving, it, it, it grinds people to a stop. It grinds them to a halt. And 
many people that I know, you know, there's a lot of wisdom in not doing all the grief right away so that five years later, we can look at that and say, oh, I should have done my grief before, but that's with hindsight. Maybe you shouldn't have, because maybe it would have, you know, overwhelmed your system the way it overwhelmed mine. But I think the message, I think the message that's missing right now is the idea that it's normal, that it's manageable. And, mm-hmm. and with a tone of hopefulness, right? I mean, if you said to me, Megan, I want to run a marathon, you know, tomorrow, and you hadn't yet trained for a marathon. In fact, you had never been a runner. We wouldn't be like, oh man, you should really do that in private. You know, you should do that on your lunch hour and don't talk a lot about it. It's like really oppressive for other people. We would be like, John, there's no reason why you can't do that. The human body yeah. the marathon, it might be more difficult because of your football injury in high school, but we wouldn't you know, and we would ask you about it on the, you know, at the water cooler, we would have ways in which to experience it as connected humans, instead of making you feel like, well, you know, nobody, everybody has to run their own marathon and you're going to have to just figure this out yourself. You know, we would have so many resources to say, look, I know a guy, he does this pacing class. Yeah. Well, and it's interesting because it's, when you talk about the workplace, I think that we've made advancements, at least I feel it more here in Utah on just the mental health side of things, which I think is good. And there's more discussion. There's still way more that needs to be done there. But it's interesting. I think sometimes maybe people just lump it in that they're one and the same almost. And I'm like, and and maybe it's just that it's, it continues. I think that there is a general tonality uh, within our country of just death is taboo. Don't talk yeah. about it. And so when death occurs, even in the workplace or with coworkers, it's like, eh, don't talk about it. It's awkward or it's uncomfortable. And I don't know what to say. And I don't have the words to say it. And so then they just don't do anything. And it's amazing to your point that we now have all of these new grievers and it's happening everywhere because grief does manifest itself not only in the loss of life but the loss uh you know the the physical life of somebody but there's elements of grief of the life that we had pre-pandemic versus what it is now it's like i i sometimes mourn the loss of i used to have an in-person team and now everyone's remote and it's like well there's tremendous blessings with um remote work of course that i can be more with my family and i don't have to you know get frustrated in the commute and all of these types of things and it's amazing and and that i don't have to fly all the way to dc to meet you that we can do this right this is all incredible but i also still need human interaction you know it's like that is still important and i think you know so we grieve and we mourn in so many different ways it manifests itself there but we're still just not having the conversation we're not talking about it and that is so, so apparent and why things like your podcast and the work that you're doing and, 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 you know, is so crucial. I think that we just, we need to do as much as we can to help educate as many people as possible. And that happens by talking and telling our story and then actually putting words behind the feelings and the emotions that we're experiencing. What you said is so important, which is that grief is not a mental health problem. It's actually not a mental health problem. And I'm clear to describe to people that my traumatic experience with with grief or my system, my body got overwhelmed and I couldn't do anything except think about the pictures of my mother's death. And that is for sure a mental health problem. And that was connected to other things from my childhood, sort of like little infections Mm -hmm. that had gone on unresolved. But if we, if we define grief as the emotional reaction to loss, you are a thousand percent right. I mean, I'm sitting with CEOs 
I had a guy a couple of weeks ago who was talking, he was like, Megan, I'm embarrassed to even say this, but we had just picked out new carpet in my building. And my, my wife decorated our house without any input from me. And I got to pick out the carpet and I never saw it. I never got to see the carpet in my office before we shut. I never got to see it. And he was like, I think about that every day. I think, and what I said was, you're grieving it every day. And he was like, well, I'm not. And I was like, no, no, no. That experience, it wasn't even an experience he had, right? It was just this anticipation of pleasure around something really small. And he didn't get to do it. Yeah. Right. And, 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 you know, he's paying me a lot of money and we're in a session and we're talking about it. And what I always say to people is nothing that comes up in a session is coming up because it's useless or worthless. It's coming up because it needs emotional attention. And we, we do have this awkwardness, but I think about other things in our lives that are hard, you know, like, um, that are not necessarily grief oriented, but have grief associated with them. Like having a baby, having a baby, you know, with unexpected you know, unexpectedly early or late or with health concerns or whatever, we figure that out in, in our, you know, and and it's not like people just ask us once, how's the baby? And then they never ask us, you know, it's like their lead, they lead with it. Oh, how are the little ones? Let me see pictures. Now, again, I understand that we as humans would rather move towards pleasant experiences, but not everybody's going to have a baby and everyone is going to grieve. So the, those experiences, I think you're, you're just like 100% right on to say the conversations are the things that are breaking through. But I do also want to say, I really do. I'm looking for the people who are ready to step up. Like I am a part of the reason I'm, I'm, I'm talking to companies is that more than anything, I believe in capitalism. I just believe the people who are making the things and doing the things we look to them as leaders. And yeah. so when I'm talking to leaders of companies, what I'm saying is this is actually easier than talking about anxiety and depression. Those things, you really do have to be, you know, dancing. They're nuanced and they're very different and they're hard and they're maybe, yeah. This isn't even a mental health problem. All sorts of things. Yeah, it's different. This is just a validation of a life stage. Now you and I had loss earlier. I had childhood loss when a teenager in my life died. You and I had loss earlier maybe than, but by the time people are hitting their 40s, which is the, you know, those are the managers in the workplace. Everybody's had a significant loss. So, so when we're talking to people in the workplace and what we're asking them to do is name it, identify how your company plans on making room for it, which could be deciding on your bereavement leave, but it could also just be identifying a griever and letting them be more flexible with their own managers about their hours. And then understanding that when you have had a significant loss, that is the old life. So that with everyone who's coming back into work, whether it's after the pandemic or whether it is on account of their father dying, that they are actually creating a new pathway forward. They're not coming back to anything in their life. They are putting new bricks under their feet for a path forward. And so to sit and have that conversation, because what you and I know is things like spirituality, relationships, you know, your physical responses to all that shifts. And so we can't just say, well, Joe's back to work, you know, talk to Joe. How, how does he even feel? You know, one of the things that people talked a lot about during the pandemic, people who maybe didn't have as purpose driven work as you and I are lucky enough to have, they were like, 
why am I even doing this job? So, yeah. <laughs> what am I even doing? This doesn't, during such a crisis, it doesn't really matter. Yeah, I want to I ask you, can you open up sort of where, where your personal experiences then, you know, guided you into your work world? Can you tell us yeah. a little bit about your for grief work and your, yeah, yeah I'd love to hear it. Yeah, totally. It's, it's an interesting journey. Um, like I said, the first path into the funeral space and, and, you know, it's been so fun to connect with, with so many amazing grief professionals like yourself and others, but, and I'm kind of the, the weird guy that went the funeral path, you know, and, but I'm grateful that I did because I think that there is, there still is a disconnect there that needs to be resolved and needs to be a stronger bond in that handoff, you know? So I started with pre-planning and there were a couple of reasons why. I was young and it was a fast growing business and there was a lot of opportunity for me as a professional yeah. to be able to learn and grow in the business world. So I was intrigued by that and I knew that it was purpose driven, but I had a significant experience with that. Like I remember my dad was in hospice and my mom called me and I was at work that morning and, and she said, it was about three days before my dad passed. And she said, John, would you meet me at the funeral home? Um, I just, the more I think about it, the more I think we need to just go take care of it now, because once dad does go, I don't think I'm going to have the capacity really wise collections and, and, and do anything. And she's like, I feel like this morning I could do it. And I said, sure, you bet. You know, I called my boss and said, Hey, I'm going to go head down to go meet my mom. And so we met at the funeral home and, and sat down with the funeral director and, and started planning things. And then I went, we went down into the basement. And it was in this casket showroom, you know, and which so surreal. A, it's, a, it's a it's a very morbid experience. And you're yeah. thinking about I'm thinking about my dad and his hospice bed. And then I'm trying to envision him in this casket. I'm like, this is just a bad experience. But um, for me and then it's hard. You know, my mom, she was living in an affluent community. And, and I think the funeral director knew that. And um you know, we were going around and he was selling us on kind of the nicest gold lined vault and this mahogany casket. And, Ugh. you know, in hindsight and being in the profession, I don't know that he was, I, I really don't know. I don't know if he was taking advantage, but I have a sales gene too. So I'm kind of watching this and I'm like, you know, and my mom is just kind of getting worked up and she's flustered. And for me at my young age, I'm looking at these price tags of you know, 5,000, 6,000, 7,000 for these things. And I'm like, good golly. I had it's, that's what I say. We, yeah. we cremated my mother for the price of a used car. Yeah. And I, um, I remember I, I just asked him, I said, do you mind if you just let my mom and I talk, you know, if we could just talk down here for a minute. And the very words that my mom said was, I just wish I knew what dad wanted because whatever he would have selected would have been totally fine with me. And I'm like, oh, you're so right. And so that that moment, that experience stuck in my brain. Right. And then when I learned about pre-planning, I was like, oh my gosh, like it, that is one of the greatest things you could do in these types of scenarios. And even if you're not, it's just, if you can help your family avoid um, having to have that experience because you've taken care of it when you're in a healthy mindset. And when you're thinking clearly, and if you can take care of the financial, you know, and get that all buttoned up because I'm a, I'm an ambassador of funeral service. I still believe 
that that is incredibly important to have a memorialization and an opportunity to gather. For me, the viewing was very important to be able to have closure. Like all of those things were important and every family and every you know background is different, but I think writing down those wishes is really, really important. But so I started in that and I did that for a good six, seven years through various capacities in more of a corporate America world but I learned more about the profession. And so I had this very interesting dynamic because I'm now learning about the funeral profession, but I am also the bereaved. I am a quote, aftercare family. I've, I've been there and I put myself in the shoes of those individuals. And so all of my work kept gravitating to helping those people and saying and advocating for them and saying, this is what they need. And also realizing that it, it's a profession that is, um, deep in tradition, um, which again, I, I, I like that aspect yeah. of the profession, but as a result, you don't have a lot of change and growth and innovation That's to right. modernize the experience. And so I finally reached a point where I said, you know what, I, I'm creative, I'm pretty dang talented, I'm driven, I have this personal experience with loss, let's see what we can do with it. And uh, that got me on the path to entrepreneurship. And it started my first business, and it still is alive and well and thriving, it's it's my most successful one so far, but it's called Domani Care. And it's actually a business to business solution. But what we do is we do um, text message based follow up with families after the service uh, on behalf of the funeral home. And so starting two weeks after the service, our first text message is just, you know, hi, and we, we mentioned it by name. Hi, Megan, this is John with Nelson Family Mortuary. Uh, we're just checking in. We know how hard these first days and weeks can be. Please let us know if there's anything we can do for you. And um, it's all live text messaging. It's not robots. And so um, I have a, a great, tremendous team of people that send, read, and respond to every single message in our system. And so I'm really proud of that. It, um, you know, we're partnered with about 1,200 funeral homes yeah. uh, and cemeteries, pet loss centers, and hospices across. We are in all 50 states and Canada now. And uh, we did 2.5 million text messages through our system last year. Oh my year. God, thank you. That's amazing. Yeah. So it, it's been just such a thrill. And I think you know, when I when I first started, everyone was like text messaging. That's so impersonal, and I'm like, no, nope, it's actually one of the most personal ways you can communicate with a person. You know, they they you only text your friends. You know, you text the people that are your closest to. And the fact that we see over fifty percent response rate, uh, people are so That's appreciative amazing. of it. And, you know, we get, it, it's really sweet. I mean, we, we'll get people that are up late at night and they'll yeah. send us pictures of their home improvement projects. And the one message, so there's two messages I want to highlight too, that we can talk about. One is where we get into the grief content, but the other one too, is just, we finish our, our service at the one year anniversary date. And on the anniversary of death, we send out kind of a memorialization text. And, you know, Megan, I'm so shocked. I mean, I, I guess I shouldn't be, but it, the number of times that people then say via text, thank you so much. You're the only person that yeah. remembered. It kills and me. I, I thought, you've got to be kidding me. You know, but I'm like, I guess it makes sense. It just, you know, people, they keep moving on. They don't write that date down. They don't know that that individual is there. And so I'm sure my social media network gets tired because every year on my, the anniversary of my dad's death, you better believe I put a tribute out there, um, you know, for him and, and share that experience. And I probably do it twofold. One is to share 
you know, my experience with loss and what I've learned and, and the gratitude that I have for the man that was my father in the life that he lived. But I, I think I, I also realize I also need that community support. It's yeah. so great to hear other people share memories of my dad on that day and to, to help that. It, it makes it more of a special day. It's a tender day, um, yeah. but, but it's a meaningful day. But the other message too that, we, that I think is really impactful in, in kind of our series is, um, you know, when I first started this, I did it alone on my computer and I sure. had the tech come in and I, I was an entrepreneur. And, uh, you know, 30% of the people on that first message ask for grief or bereavement information. And I, the way I, I did it and I still do it is I then go to the funeral home and I say, okay, this family has requested some information. What do you have for them? And the first funeral home that I went to said, we have some pamphlets at the funeral home they can come pick up. And I thought, I, again, put myself in the shoes of the bereaved. And I said, you've got to be kidding me. Right. They weren't just but, diagnosed with herpes. They have well, yeah, yeah. They don't pamphlet. I'm like, they don't even want to get in their car to go anywhere. Never mind. They're back not going to, to get in the car to come pick up some pamphlets. And like the content on that pamphlet, no offense to whoever oh. wrote it is probably not going to revolutionize their grief and bereavement experience, you know? So then I went to the second funeral home when this happened, thinking there must be some consistency across the board, or there must be some resources for these funeral homes, right? And then the second one was, was even worse. He gave me a link to a government website that had a directory of all the therapists in the state, not grief therapists, just all therapists in the state, and said, have them pick one. And oh. I thought... I mean, again, I've been in this scenario where I wrote therapist near me and you see this massive list. And I'm like, how do I've never been to therapy. I don't know how to choose this. And, and uh, I'm like, these are both not helpful. And so that was where um, for grief was born. So it's for grief.com. And, and I always tell everyone this, I'm like, I am not a grief expert. I'm not like you. I'm not classically trained in this. I didn't go to school for this. I don't have any um, letters behind my name that, that give me the credentials to be a quote unquote grief expert. But what I've chosen to do, though, is to use my personal experience with loss, my creativity, my desire to connect, and that is really what For Grief is. It is a, a digital platform so that it can bring those best-in-class resources into one place so that people can have that introduction to you know, these amazing experts and authors and therapists. And, and I, I, my heart also goes out for people in, in rural America, you know, it's like they don't have a grief expert in their local, you know, community, but now I can give them somebody that is a New York Times bestselling author or a contributor on the Today Show and say, here, from your mobile device, you can listen to this individual and you can learn about something very specific to you. Did you lose your dad? Let's talk about father loss. Did you lose your mom? Let's talk about mother loss. Did you lose a child? Let's talk about child loss. And let's provide those resources. So that's really what For Grief is, is that it is a place to kind of consolidate that and to just be a free platform that people can, um, we do obviously uh, uh, webinars on a monthly basis that are live that our friend Allison Gilbert hosts and she does an amazing job. And we've had many people, you know, be, be guests on that. Um, we we do have courses that people can take. We have obviously blogs. Our social media feed is constantly being populated. Um, we're coming out with a grief calendar that is um, similar to like a community center calendar or your gym, you know, where you have Pilates at eight and you have spin at, at nine. Now instead it's 
it will be a live calendar where there can be Zoom feeds where people can pop in, um, learn a little bit about the subject, but get pointed in the right direction. You know, and everyone kind of grieves at their own pace and maybe some are avid readers and some want to listen to podcasts and some want writing activities. And, you know, that there, there's going to be a plethora of, oh, of yeah. there. So that's really it. It's just to kind of like get rid of the fluff or the, the chaos or the distraction or the just, unknowing and then right when they ask for it it's right there at the time that they need it and and anyway so that's kind of the vision behind it and it's been just so cool to see it grow some legs and and we're really doubling down and putting more resources to it uh this next year significant resources which i'm grateful for those that are contributing on that to make it just a great tool before you and I even knew each other, I was a consumer of for grief stuff. You know, I followed on and the and the quality of of your work and the people who are connected to you, I think is a testimony to what you're putting together. Um, and what what you didn't say it like this, but but I will say everything that you have just described about how you have sort of understood what what isn't working, right? Like where the hole is, right? That's when it, what an entrepreneur is doing is sort of looking, <laughs> looking across the spectrum and saying like, there's an opening here that I can fill and I have to fill it in a unique way. But our brains are not right when we are grieving. So part of part of what, I, I, I didn't go um, to the funeral home when my dad died, but I did when my mom died. And what I ended up doing was laughing hysterically in that way that you do really inappropriately because we were looking at urns and the urns were everything, you know, it was like a a really expensive maple box next to like a plastic light up little mermaid. I mean, I just couldn't, my, my brain couldn't do it. But in grief, particularly fresh grief, where we're asked to do a lot of these things for the very first time, we actually have a limited capacity. Our brain is not able to get the electrical currents past our amygdala, which is responding to the trauma, up to the behind our forehead where we do our critical thinking. And so our capacity to make anything other than very emotional choices while you're walking around a casket showroom, you know, so whether or not anybody's taking advantage of you, that is a position of deep vulnerability. So being able to say to somebody, listen, you know, just have these conversations. It's, it's not all that different than the, you know, DNR paperwork. That's different from state to state. Just have the conversation. You can have it while you're driving in the car, ask them what they want. Ask them what they want. And if you have to register papers, let's do that. What you're describing also, I think with, you know, when I go to a funeral, I say to people, take out your phones real quick and just put this date, put it in as an anniversary. I say it to everybody in the pews around me or, or wherever I am. I'm like, just put the date in there. I'm just telling you that like people holding space for me on the day, on the day is, you know, makes me feel less isolated, less alone in my grief, less alone. So, so the fact that that kind of a text you built into something, a 50% response rate is uh, anybody can tell you who does that kind of stuff, newsletters or whatever, that's Ah. unheard of. And what that's demonstrating to you and to all of us is that people are really hungry for this. You know, I have several platforms that people reach out to me I have an assistant and I still manage the platform responses, even though some days that's all I'm doing because 
they're reaching out to me personally. I have to respond personally. Um, And most of the time what I'm responding with right now is, I'm sorry, I can't give you the name of a therapist. I can't even give you the name of an organization. I can tell you what I think people should be trained in in order to do the kind of work that you're talking about. But, you know, people like Claire Bidwell-Smith, who you and I both know, and David Kessler, you know, they are out there training people. But yeah. we're, but not in the numbers that we need them. And so, oh my goodness, if a text and a conversation with somebody on the other end of the line can be helpful, amazing. And one of the things that's true about grief is that people do not feel like themselves. Oh, and so yeah. sometimes, I mean, I remember I had a miscarriage a million years ago and I was just like really broken. I didn't know anybody else who had had a miscarriage or so I thought until people started talking to me about it. And some, someone had sent me a whole bunch of baby stuff and I sent it back because I just mm. couldn't have it in the house. Yeah. And that company was like a little mother daughter company. And the daughter reached out to me and said, I have it. I have a hunch, you know, that the, why you may have sent these products back as soon as you want, as soon as you're ready, please reach out to us because we know, you know, that there's a hopeful path Mm. forward for you. I mean, I, I, I sent that as my baby gift from that company. I sent that basket of stuff to every single person for the next 10 years. Just because of that email. I didn't even respond to the email, just the fact that they sent it. And I know the company Chewy, sends, um, after a pet has died, I know that they send, you know, all kinds of stuff to pet owners. And the reason that they do that is yes, they're a smart company, but also because anyone who has experienced the loss of a pet knows that it's disenfranchised, that the way in which people are approaching them, like their life should be normal. Um, and it is normal. is, is, it has been, I mean, I have two dogs and I love them dearly. And I, I am even apprehensive to, I was apprehensive to get them because I'm like, I know you're going to die earlier, you know, and, and, uh, but when we do our, because we do this for pet loss too. I mean, that is where, yeah. uh, I mean, it just impacts them on such a level. And they say that very, I mean, no one takes them seriously. Yeah. And you're like, Gosh, you know, that's just so unfortunate that again, I think it comes down to education. It's like awareness. People would be so much more sensitive and, and be aware of their surroundings if they had any idea. And I think, you know, you said that earlier that, yeah, people are in their forties, you know, when they're in their forties, they've generally had unexperienced with loss by that point, right? It's some way, shape or form. Maybe it's their grandparents or, or something significant, but I do think that plays into it too, is just the lack of awareness of how big of an event this is in a person's life when they lose it. And I think it's, it's got to be just stemmed more on ignorance. Um, and I don't mean that in a, a negative or derogatory way, but it's just, I, it's one of those things that then people get thrust into it, you know, and it's this crash course of you having to figure it out for the first time. And so your hard. community around you is kind of learning how to figure it out for the first time. And it's just, everyone fumbles over it. And it, and so then we just do nothing and we just stay frozen and we don't offer the help that we need, you know? So it's, it's lending that opening that door. I mean, that's been my mindset. I'm like, okay, well, a text message then gives them the, the opportunity to talk to someone that they feel safe with. 
you know, that, that it's yeah. behind the screen. And so it's a little bit, it's more approachable. You don't have to get your clothes on and your makeup on and, and, and look good. You can do that from your bed because you can't get out that morning and you can have at least opening up the door to some conversation to start that path. When, um, so my husband is English and when I was pregnant with my daughter, who's now 14, I went to visit a friend in England. And while I was there, somebody knocked on the door and, you know, it was like a visiting nurse and came in and checked on the baby and checked on my friend who just had this little one. And she left and I was like, what the hell was that? You know, to me, I was like, that was a little invasive. And she was like, that woman is amazing. She's assigned to my neighborhood from the public health system. She knows all the women nearby who've had babies. She helps us set up like a, you know, a coffee date. And oh, really? she's, yeah. And she's with me for six months. And when I had my kid, I was so jealous. I was like, first of all, I want that little grandmother lady to come knock on my door and ask how I'm doing. Right. I didn't need a therapist. I had a baby. It wasn't dramatic in the sense of like, I wasn't wondering whether I had made the right decision. I just had no idea how tired my body actually could be. And so I think part of what we're both talking about is this notion that like, it literally just needs to be honored as an experience. Right. I have, I have two clients, both of whom are like, you know, elite members of the military. And they know each other and they talk to each other and the way that they talk to each other about what it was like. And I've also worked with sports teams and like people who are talking about like, oh God, when we did that really long run and the, you know, up the hill right before the game, that is validating in a way that is about people who have a shared experience. We, we can do that with grief, but we have to be able to say to folks like, okay, let's start talking about it. And I think exactly what you just described, I always call it like on the job training, like you, you know, you're walking into a restaurant and they're like, yeah, if you want to eat, you got to come in and cook. And like, you've never even chopped an onion before The, the intensity of the learning is so wild and the people around you who are so well-meaning, but they're like, I don't know. I've never seen Megan like this before. Like, yeah, no, duh. She's never done this before. That's why you've never seen her like this before. And it doesn't matter if you think it's weird that it's this hard for her. You need to honor that she says that it is. And, 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 you know, and sort of let's bone up on whatever those resources are. So I, I think a lot of the questions that you and I are looking to answer are not making grief you know, so that there is no pain associated, you know, it's going to be what it is. You know, that's a phrase I use a lot, which is like, you know, it was always going to be this way. Mm -hmm. And Mm -hmm. I really believe that about my, my grief with my dad and my grief with my mom. I believe that it was always going to be this way, but that the way in which I am in this new space can be supported a million zillion times better. And I think about how we teach kids about puberty, right? We do that before they go through puberty. It's not the same. You know, my daughter said, they said it was going to be like this, but oh my God, it's more like this. I'm like, I know, I know. You can't really know until you're there, but you can know some things. And particularly when I'm talking to companies, what I say to, to companies, you know, generally they're contracting with me for like, let's say a year. 
And I say, I'll come in four times a year. And almost immediately people will say, do you think we're going to need you? And I say, maybe not, but imagine what it's going to say to the people in your company five years from now who remember that you invited me in four times in one year, because yeah. that's how, that's how important you think creating a culture that embraces grief and losses. Yeah. And the wow. trickle down effect, right? Is that like, if you are talking about grief and loss four times in your company in one year, this lady came in, she taught us about our bodies. She taught us about our brains. That conversation impacts how you parent. It impacts how you are a member of your church. It impacts how you go and talk to doctors. It, it just, it is part of the ethos of understanding. And so again, that's why I think companies are a great place to start because they, you know, that like Ronald Reagan's trickle down economics from the eighties, like we, we really do. We are all, I think, coming at this with the, with the idea that the culture around grief and loss of being one of silence and, it, you know, yeah. and awkwardness has got to change if we don't want to turn it into something that becomes a mental health problem, something that people can't manage, something that impacts them in this really terrible way. We only have a couple of minutes left. When we started, um, you were sharing with me that you and your family have experienced some recent loss. Would, would you, um, I'd love to talk about that just for a minute, because again, I think, I think it's really important. And I think there are some important conversations. I don't know if you're listening to Anderson Cooper's new podcast that he, he just did an episode with Stephen Colbert and they're, they're talking about losing their, I haven't listened to it yet, but I, I have it oh in my, my God. I had to go to bed afterwards. I mean, it just, first oh, of all, yeah. 80 people sent it to me, of course. And I listened to it and I was like, oh my God, the rawness of this. But part of what they're really offering us is the experience of loss over time, right? Mm -hmm. I think what we want to hope is like, well, once you go through a really big loss, you know how to do it. But you and I know that that isn't the case. So would you mind just sort of sharing yeah. what you guys have been through lately? For sure, yeah. Uh, you know, gosh. I, grief comes, death comes, you know, they always say it comes in threes, right? I think is the, the terminology that they right. use. Gosh, I mean, it's so heavy when it does uh, hit. And I, so this last Friday, um, so less than a week ago, um, got a, a message from a friend of ours letting, so her brother um, was one of my best friends in high school. Um, our moms were roommates in college. So we have years of history. Yeah. And let us know that um, his youngest child, uh, seven years old, didn't wake up uh, when they went to go get him ready for school last Friday. And um, just the cutest little kid, you know, and just so healthy and, and uh, full of life. And I just thought, oh, gosh, like that just, it was such a gut punch. I've always said, you know, we talked about my dad was cancer and it was young and it was tragic, you know, without question. But I always tell people, I'm like, well, it wasn't sudden. And I'm like, that was a blessing to me. And I can't fathom a loss of a child, you know, like I, just, I, I, I have four kids and, and that just, I, I, I can't fathom it. And I I've talked to him just about every day and said, you know, and I think he comes to me cause he knows I'm in this space. And it's like you said, and it's like, sometimes I just don't have words, you know, for it other than to let you know that, that I'm here, that I'm, you know, I care that I'm willing to listen. I'm, I'm here to tell you that, that it will get better. Uh, it'll be different, you know, and your life is now different than what you thought it was going to be. 
um, but that there can still be beauty, you know, in death and trying to give him hope for that, but also giving him space for just letting him feel whatever he's feeling right now. You know, if you're angry, if you're frustrated, if you're cursing God, whatever the case may be, like all there, there's space for that. And I'm, if you want a sounding board, I can be there to listen, you know? And uh, so it's been, it's been great to just reconnect with him in this way uh, and to try and be there, but it's, it's, it does bring up your own personal feelings with grief, you know, as, as you're mourning. I didn't know his son personally in that way because uh, we don't live in the same state. He lives in Washington and I'm here. Um, but I know his parents and I know his family and I, you know, it's just, it was so tragic. But then yesterday morning, um, we found out too, that my, one of my wife's really good friends, and we've actually been couple friends with she and her husband, uh, but they grew up on the same street as her. Uh, and they lived with us in Oregon for a time and we'd have them over for dinner and, and we've been great social media friends. And anyways, just a young, uh, in her mid thirties. Uh, three young kids, and she also did not wake up yesterday, and um, and so you know leaves behind this this great family and of three little boys, and and it just you know you look at that, it, it death happens unexpectedly all the time. It happens in car accidents, and it happens in in all sorts of things. Obviously, the the pandemic we've become very familiar with kind of these well, one person just has the sniffles and the other person's hospitalized and then dies. And it, it, it can be this really confusing thing for our brains to handle. Um, but all of, it just has brought grief uh, to the forefront of my mind. I mean, I do this every single day, but when it hits home like that with people that you love, um, where you feel like, you know, there, there was so much hope and opportunity for these individuals and, and why did this have to happen? Um, I, I think, yeah, the underlying message for myself, uh, as I've talked about it with my wife too, I love the, um, why am I spacing her name? Kubler-Ross. Oh yeah. Elizabeth, Elizabeth Kubler-Ross. I love that quote when she talks about beautiful people, you know, that they aren't just made that the most beautiful people that we've ever known have gone through and tragedy and, and death and loss. I mean, that's, that's the essence of what she was saying. And I just believe that wholeheartedly. It's that the human experience is, is it can be brutal at times, but it, it takes the sharp edges around us and it rounds us off into these, these beautiful people. And it's unfortunate we have to go through those experiences. It's, it's tragic, but it does make us the people that we are. And that is where all the superficial stuff that's out there, the things that everyone's bickering and fighting over the, the, yeah, the, the way, and it just, it, when people lose someone, do they think about any of that? Not yeah. at all. Yeah. It is all about them, their families, the things that, that matter most in their lives. And, um, I think that that's a beautiful reminder. And so, yeah, our feelings have been super tender this week, but all it's done is brought home again, the magnitude of, of, the work that we're doing and the conversations that we're having and that we can do more to help better prepare people before the, the death occurs. But then we can also do a better job of helping uh, after as well. I, w there needs to be a step up. I love that you're doing this in corporations and it needs to be done. It needs to be happening in families and schools. Um, I, I would hope more leadership and, and, and our politicians. And it's like, Everyone needs to step up to the plate. Uh, we, we've had just a rough couple of years here, 
And I think we are all aware of it, but we need more action without question to make it better. Yeah. And what will happen as often happens, like, you know, with climate crisis or whatever, it's like people will talk about it and then we'll see the effects of it. So if people are not able to show up for, you know, we're seeing it, right? It's the great resignation. It's the quiet quitting in companies. People are not able to just quote unquote, go back to work because you can't go back when something untenable is happening. Um, I'm so sorry. That's such a heavy week. Um, you know, I think particularly with the death of a child and sudden death, which you have times two, um, it's, it, it activates our fear center in this way that like, we want the world to make sense and you can't make those things make sense. And so, you know, that little existential crisis of like, am I even safe? Is the world an okay place to be in is anyone who's connected to that story, even tangentially is going to sort of have to be in that. And what I think about a lot is it's almost easier or simpler. Nothing is easy. It's almost simpler to be the griever or to be the primary person who supports the griever when you're adjacent It's so confusing about like how I know I care about this. I'm not making it up. I can feel it in my body, but I don't know what to do about my caring. And so I'm just curious that I'm going to let you go. Do you have like a, like a grief practice, a way in which particularly it's not your grief, but you are Mm -hmm. feeling the experience. Do you, you know, pray, donate to a charity, write in your journal, talk to your wife? Like, do you have a way of sort of attending to the emotional experience that you could share with us? Yeah. You know, I, I love that you asked that question. I think that that is, um, you know, if we have a takeaway, you know, from this of something, an action item that somebody could do when they experience this as well. Um, and yeah, I think I definitely do. I, for me, it's writing. Yeah. Um, and I think it's twofold. Yeah. You're on, you're on the periphery. You, you find something that kind of relates to you to that, that yeah. circumstance that's happening. And so while these people have been a part of my life, I am not the immediate person attending to their needs. So what have I done? Yes. I've donated to their GoFundMes. Um, but it does ignite my own grief. Yeah. I feel like every time these grief events happen, my yeah. grief, my loss, my awareness of my mortality. Uh, I think about my siblings. I mean, you, you go down this whole yeah. path, um, but the writing is just so therapeutic and the sharing of it um, yeah. and not from a, hey, I want to get likes and shares and, and yeah. my yeah. following standpoint, but purely from the human awesome. aspect. I think it's a natural thing to say, I want to verbalize or, or put words or communicate what is going on in my heart and mind. Um, and then I want to put it out there and share it um, so that I also know that I'm not alone in this and that I can connect with that. And it's it's just those are beautiful experiences. And whether it's death of the queen or whether it's, you know, uh, the pandemic, whatever, I think when people do that, that is what is so cool. That's where, to me, social media has power. I go, oh, gosh, you can connect with your community about something that is human and in an instant, it can happen and you can immediately start having this conversation. That's pretty dang miraculous. So yeah, that's what I do. I love to just, I'm a communicator, I think in that way. I love that answer. And, and it actually, it breaks, it breaks. I do a grief writing workshop on my, on my grief is my side hustle, um, website. And we talk about process and product. And I teach this class, which is writing for yourself 
and then writing to connect to others. So yeah. writing for yourself is really, you know, it's, it's going into your own emotional experience and attending to your own self and pulling out sadness and pulling out anger and pulling out fear and pulling out and then saying, oh, look, I know these things about myself. Yeah. And, and interestingly, when you're teaching writing, when people are able to do that, then you're able to, I feel sad, I feel angry. And you're both modeling it for other people who maybe are not as able to put their fingers on their emotions. Because again, that's yeah. something we have been taught, you know, historically beautifully, but also people can say, oh my God, me too. I, I totally get that. And that to me is holy. That to me is the humanity of like, you know, whatever the, whatever you want to call the energy that connects us. And honestly, you know, grief connects us. It is the most connecting of all human experiences. It is the, you know, other than being born, which we don't participate in grieving is the thing that we all do. This has been such a gift of a conversation. I'm so um, grateful really, because before I knew you, I was a consumer of your platform. And I really do think your work is incredibly special and um, I don't know other people that are doing the funeral work the way that you are. And again, I just think it's a gift because, um, because it is something that needs to, you know, it needs to be supported. Um, and I love seeing all my friends' faces on your platform and the work that you're doing. So thank you yes. so much. It's yeah. been so good. It's, I appreciate you so much, Megan, and for this platform, the work that you're doing, the leadership, uh, really in this space, I feel like. Um, I'm just honored to to know you and get to work with you and, and let's have more conversations like absolutely, this. Absolutely. Absolutely. We'll stay. We'll, I mean, we'll obviously we'll stay connected. And um, yeah, I look forward to collaborating because, you know, the interesting thing about grief and loss, and I say this over and over again, it's not like a giant moneymaker. We're really here <laughs> almost, you know, almost in the way that that EMTs are, which is like, you know, you do your catchment area, you do. And if my ambulance needs to cross over to your area, just let me know. Just, just, yep. you know, call my number and I'm there. So thank you so much. Have a good rest of your Wednesday. Hey, sounds good. Take care. <laughs> Thanks so much. Mm -hmm.